In Jacksonville, Florida, an employee climbed into the operator's chair of a digger derrick. This is a flatbed truck that was specially modified. On the flatbed platform is mounted a gear turning pedestal. And on that pedestal is mounted an operator's chair and a boom arm. This vehicle and the boom arm are specially designed for removing utility poles. The employee was in the operator's chair when workers at the job site all heard a creak, long, loud, and ominous, and then a loud pop as one of the 18 fastener bolts mounting the pedestal to the flatbed sheared and broke off. The workers inspected the remaining 17 bolts and determined to resume working. But then several other bolts came loose. The boom fell and the operator was ejected from his chair to the ground, perhaps more than 12 feet below, and died from his injuries. OSHA issued a citation under the general duty clause. It went to an administrative law judge and then up to the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. We'll discuss the Review Commission's decision today on this, the August 17, 2022 episode of the OSHA 3030. Welcome to the OSHA 3030. I'm Manish Rath. I'm a partner at the law firm Keller and Heckman LLP right here in Washington, D.C. I've represented employers in the field of occupational safety and health law for almost all of my 26 years of practice. And I'm very fortunate today for I am joined by my dear friend and colleague here at Keller and Heckman, uh, Taylor Johnson. Taylor, thank you for joining us today on the OSHA 3030. Thanks for having me, Manish. Happy to be here. Well, I think we got a great topic. And for those of you who just are tuning in for the first time, Taylor, you may know this, but today we are wrapping up uh, what I think is a full nine years of the OSHA 3030. Actually, August is our anniversary month. So this month, we, with this episode, we begin our 10th year of the OSHA 3030. We've done this every 30 days about, and we try in about 30 minutes to bring to the community, uh, OSHA 3030 community, the Keller and Heckman community, a topic that is developmental in the field of occupational safety and health law. We try and make a deep dive into the little things that are impactful in the field of occupational safety and health law. So with that said, today's another instance of a great topic. Taylor, what are we going to talk about today? Sure. It's a great case that we've got to talk about today, Manish. Uh, first, we're going to go over the background uh, of the incident in question. Then we'll review the general duty clause, which is the section of the OSH Act that the employer in this case was cited under. Next, we'll discuss the administrative law judge's error in this case. And we're going to review the review commission's decision. And as always, we'll wrap up with some practical takeaway uh, action items for the workplace. Yeah, that's right. And this is a recorded program. So we'll turn off all the recordings. And for those of you participating in the live audience today on August 17, 2022, we'll go into an off the record section. You can ask whatever questions you want. It doesn't have to be about this topic. It can be about anything relating to occupational safety and health law. We request that you pre-submit questions. But if you have any that's uh, come up, you can use the chat function up above. The program is, however, recorded, except for that off the record section will be republished as a podcast and as well 
on our website, the full video slides, audio, which will will feed through to YouTube. So you can search us on the media of your choice. So Taylor, why don't we go ahead and get into the facts in this case? This is a case involving the Secretary of Labor on behalf of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration versus a firm named Henkels and McCoy. They are a utility construction design and engineering contractor. They're headquartered in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. This project was to take place in Jacksonville, Florida. That's right, Manish. And so two Henkels and McCoy employees, uh, a crew leader and an apprentice, uh, were using an Alltech DC-47 series digger derrick to remove a utility pole, as you mentioned, in Jacksonville, Florida. Taylor, these digger derrick trucks, they're quite large. This particular digger derrick truck was probably the size of a dump truck. It has a flatbed. And on top of that, there is a pedestal that's gear operated. On top of that is this long boom that you can see, for those of you in the live audience see on the slide, uh, and a operator's chair that all pivot on the pedestal, the gear operated pedestal. And that that pedestal is mounted to the subframe with 18 rotation bearing mounting bolts or fasteners that affix this assembly up top to the flatbed. That's right, Manish. And, and the crew leader was injured. So he was sitting in uh, the operator's chair while they were attempting to remove the utility pole. And he was actually ejected from the seat and later died from his injuries. It's an unfortunate event. The, the uh, 18 bolts, one of them, as I mentioned earlier, first sheared off and created a loud, loud sound that they all noticed. And they inspected the other 17, actually the operator's apprentice or assistant, inspected the other 17 bolts. The record before the judge is unclear as to what steps he took to inspect each of the 17 bolts, whether he torque tightened them or merely made a visual inspection. We don't know, or any level of uh, diligence in between. But we know that he inspected the 17, concluded that they were still intact and that the operation was ready to proceed or resume. So they proceeded, and that's when additional bolts uh, broke off or loosened out. And then the whole assembly fell, ejecting him down to the pavement. It looks to me, I'm estimating at least 12 feet below, which, which theoretically could be a fatal fall. And in this case, unfortunately, it certainly was. OSHA came out and did an inspection and they issued a serious citation, they, but they issued it under the general duty clause and their alleged violation description stated that Henkels and McCoy had exposed employees to hazards by not properly maintaining the digger derrick truck, specifically those 18 bolts that affix the whole assembly to the flatbed. And OSHA assessed Henkels and McCoy a total penalty amount of a little over $12,000, almost $13,000. And Henkels and McCoy then contested the citation and the administrative law judge vacated the citation. Uh, OSHA then appealed that administrative law judge's decision to the review commission. So Taylor, it's important to understand why did the administrative law judge vacate the citation and the review commission reverse and find that the citation was properly issued. To, to understand that, we sh first should start with the citation as alleged. It was an allegation of a violation of the general duty clause. And there are four elements that OSHA has to meet and establish when asserting a violation of the general duty clause. This makes it a tougher standard in a lot of ways to meet than, than when pressing a claim that there was a specific safety or health standard that was violated. Because in the case of the general duty clause, OSHA has to establish four elements. One, that the employee 
or employees were in fact exposed to a hazard. And two, that the alleged hazard was either recognized by that employer, or if not, then was generally recognized by the industry. The third is that the alleged hazard actually caused or was likely to cause death or serious physical harm. And then the fourth is that a feasible method exists uh, to correct the alleged hazard. So these are the elements OSHA has to prove. It went to the administrative law judge, Judge Gatto, and he he stated, well, if there was, it, it turned out when they looked at the, re- the trial record when, during the hearing that there was a recall by Altec, the manufacturer of the the Derrick Digger. And the, the recall was a notice recall, notifying the purchasers or list holders, uh, those in control of their machines downstream, that the these bolts had an opportunity for failure and that they needed in order to reduce the risk of, a, of that kind of failure, that the operator needed to regularly inspect all of those bolts and to uh, make sure that they were maintained in a torque tightened manner. So so regularly torque tightening the 18 bolts was a means of keeping those bolts under tension and when under tension were less likely to experience materials failure. Judge Gatto, the administrative law judge during the hearing, focused on that point and said, well, this is a product defect and therefore does not meet those four elements, Taylor, that you and I were talking about under the general duty clause. It's not a hazard that's generally recognized by employers or employees if, if indeed it's a materials failure. It's, it's inherently uh, unpredictable. And more to the point to that fourth element, which is that there's a feasible means of abatement, that if it's a materials failure, nothing they could have done to inspect would have prevented the materials failure. And thus the incident itself was not preventable through any regular inspection or tightening. That was the judge's opinion. Don Osho brought this up to the review commission. Right. And the review commission held that that the judge erred by redefining the hazard. As you mentioned, the review commission says that H&M was cited for improper maintenance of the Digger Derrick's bolts, a condition or practice which they did have control over, and they weren't cited for the fact that the bolts were defective. So they they essentially ruled that Judge Gatto had had sort of had redefined the alleged hazard, and that was his error. Right. And Taylor, for those uh, in the OSHA 3030 community that are, are new to the program, we've covered this before, but... I want to be clear that the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, an independent agency from OSHA, is comprised of many administrative law judges, and they are the sort of the equivalent of a trial court. They'll receive the evidence and they'll issue an opinion. But then an opinion can be appealed to the Review Commission itself, a body of three appointees. Currently, only two spots are filled, one's still vacant. And they conduct a de novo review. However, they do review the record as it is. So given the, the, the facts in the record, they, they examine applying the facts to the law de novo, essentially. And so, so this is an interesting decision that came up to the Review Commission by a request by OSHA, not by the employer. The Review Commission held that Judge Gatto had, his opinion was in plain error because he, he redefined the hazard from an allegation by OSHA, which was a failure to maintain and tighten periodically and inspect those those bolts to to the failure of the bolts themselves, which he characterized as a product defect, and thereby was able to vacate the decision. But the review commission said it's not the incident that creates the hazard. 
the hazard is the hazard and sometimes it results in an injury or fatality and sometimes it does not. Here the hazard was created by a failure. The, ha the hazard was associated with a failure in the bolts and that hazard could have been addressed by an employer by regular inspection and torque tightening, tightening to a specific torque standard, by the way. So that's the review commission's opinion. This is an interesting opinion because it, it parses out the difference between the incident that occurred and the, the issue at stake. Taylor? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and, and going through the elements of the general duty clause here as OSHA and, and then the, the review commission and the ALJ saw them, just to break it down a little bit further, you know, the H&M expert with respect to the bolts said that they were sufficiently tight and that the failure, therefore, was due to the design defect. Yeah, that's interesting because that's the expert on behalf of Henkels McCoy. OSHA had its own expert opinion. And that expert opinion was if you continue to tighten those bolts periodically, you reduce the stress loads on those bolts that could result in materials failure. And you keep them under a certain amount of tension that reduces the chance of materials failure through fatigue. The Occupational safety and health experts' testimony also included an observation that there was a decal right on the Altec vehicle, the Digger Derrick, and the decal specifically pointed out that there was a possibility of failure of the bolts if they were not regularly maintained, inspected, and torque tightened to a specified torque standard. So that decal, and of course, it was also in the operation manual, were evidence that the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission the commissioners put a lot of emphasis on when concluding that you look at the four elements of the, the general duty clause and they, they, these facts seem to serve the Occupational Safety and Health Administration in establishing them, specifically that there was a hazard that the employer was or should have been aware of the hazard given the decal and the, the operator's manual, and that even if they weren't, the industry would have been, generally speaking, would have been aware of it. And that they've specified, and the expert witness specified the methodology by which that hazard could have, the risk of that hazard could have been reduced, regular inspection and tightening to specific torque standards. Exactly. And, you know, how the ALJ views the hazard here, you know, we've discussed a little bit already, you know, essentially he says that the failure to maintain the bolts did not cause a significant risk of harm. Instead, it was the fact that the bolts were defective. And then obviously the review commission takes a, takes a different opinion. Yeah. And that's a big difference in their decision is, is where they focused the alleged violation. Yeah. The review commission, the commissioners looked back at the alleged violation description and said, well, what's being alleged here was the failure to tighten these bolts or, or to inspect and tighten these bolts. It's not the incident itself. Causation for the incident is a misplaced analysis, the review commission said. Whether the incident occurred or not, the hazard would have remained. That is the opinion of the commissioners. And I think that it's a fair point of course, that hazard that they're describing would nevertheless, under the general duty clause, have to be the kind of hazard that results in a serious injury or fatality. That is a element, a required element under the general duty clause. But there doesn't seem to be much debate that could the bolts fail, it would have likely resulted in severe injury or fatality. Indeed, on the face of the, the placarding and the operator's manual, it says death or serious injury could result from failure to inspect and pro properly torque the, the uh, fasteners. So let's get into the next element, I suppose, which is whether or not there's an industry recognition of a hazard. That's right, Manish. So 
the, the commission breaks it down here in terms of actual versus industry recognition. So with respect to actual recognition, they discuss how the, one of the factors is whether or not the supervisor has knowledge of the violative conditions. OSHA argued that the existence of the warning decal and the supervisor's familiarity with the ANSI standard proved actual recognition. Interestingly enough, the Review Commission actually rejects this argument because they, they found that there's no evidence to support that the supervisor's awareness of the decal's warning or the ANSI standard, that doesn't correlate to the fact that a lack of torque testing would cause the hazard so that there's no sort of connection between the knowledge and awareness and the actual hazard itself. So the commission finds that there was no actual recognition in this case. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I don't know that it matters given the outcome but to debate that, but it, it does appear to be certainly some evidence of actual recognition of a hazard. It's hard to argue against the, a few facts, not only the placarding and the operator's manual, but that the the company had actually contracted with a third party and believed that torque testing was going on. And on this specific Digger Derrick, as well as on all of their Digger Derricks by that same third party maintenance firm. And the, although they were mistaken and the maintenance firm had specifically disclaimed that they were engaged in torque tightening, nevertheless, Sanchez McCoy was of that belief that it was being handled, suggesting that they did believe they recognized it to be a hazard not to, to maintain the torque setting for those fasteners. Okay, so now that you get to the question of abatement, and the fourth element in a general duty clause is, is there a feasible means of abatement? Exactly. The ALJ said that torque testing would not significantly reduce the hazard uh, of the bolt design flaw. And then OSHA comes back and says that torque testing was, was, however, the easiest way to prevent the hazard in this case. Right. There was evidence from this expert witness, as we discussed earlier, that if the fasteners are maintained to a certain torque spec, then that tension that the fastener is placed under reduces the opportunity for fatigue or for the bolts to uh, back its way out. And when it's lacking that tension and not tightened properly, it can experience, the bolt can experience greater shearing stressors and greater material fatigue opportunity, and additionally, greater opportunity for the bolt itself to back out. So all of these led the expert witness on behalf of OSHA to believe that indeed, torque set tightening would have addressed the risk of materials failure of these bolts. And that testimony was credited by the commissioners. Yeah, exactly. And based on this testimony, the commission ends up finding that Henkels and McCoy failed to provide, you know, back to the general duty clause, they failed to provide a place of employment free from recognized hazards that were likely to cause death or serious harm. And they say the hazard in this instance was the failure to torque test, um, that, that this abatement would have, you know, reduced the incident, would have solved the problem here, and that the incident which caused the inspection just proved that the hazard existed. So let's talk about some of Henkels and McCoy's defenses. In addition to the idea that the general duty clause elements weren't met, they also alleged that there was a reliance on their third-party vendor. This was uh, diversified inspections that they believed diversified was handling maintenance of all aspects of their digger derricks. And the review commission looked at the trial record and stated that they found that Henkels and McCoy should have had the expertise in this area because they would be operating the vehicle all the time. They've performed TOEIC testing in the past. 
and before uh, engaging in a contract with the diversified inspections. And they made no efforts to determine whether or not diversified had been engaged in torque testing during its preventative maintenance program. Indeed, Henkels and McCoy had been uh, engaged with diversified inspections since about 2016. And starting in 2018, diversified had started noting in its maintenance reports to Henkels and McCoy, uh, a disclaimer that we are not providing torque tightening of the fastener bolts. That I think is unfortunate ev written evidence for Henkels and McCoy uh, because it's it's very possible that they never bothered to read the maintenance reports and didn't notice that. But they are certainly stuck with that fact that they were nevertheless put on notice that Diversified was not engaged in doing the torque tightening for those bolts uh, for Henkels McCoy and Henkels McCoy was notified of that. So that sort of puts an end to Henkels McCoy's defense that we should maybe be able to rely on our outside vendor to handle this. This is their area of expertise and we contracted them for them to do it. Yeah, and the second affirmative defense that they raised, uh, Henkels and McCoy was unpreventable employee misconduct. Essentially their argument here was that the employee continued to use the equipment even after the bolt was displaced. So there's sort of two things here. One, the review commission says that Henkels and McCoy didn't provide any evidence to establish that they had a work rule, that they enforced it, that there was monitoring with respect to this idea that after a bolt was displaced, you needed to immediately cease use of the equipment. And second, they, they go back to this point that, again, here, Henkels and McCoy is focusing on the cause of the incident uh, rather than on the alleged failure to properly maintain the bolts, uh, which was the basis for the citation. Those are some great points, Taylor, but one, one point that I want to follow up on, there's really two uh, questions at stake here, and one of them is the, the tightening of the bolts, the regular inspection, and the other is that when, when that bolt popped and sheared off, the expectation from Henkels McCoy of its workers was that they should have ceased work immediately, retired that vehicle for service, and then resumed the operation at that uh, job site with a new properly maintained vehicle, hopefully. And they claimed that because the operator did not do that, that that was unpreventable employee misconduct. Right. It's an interesting argument. And I think the review commission's handling of that defense is of great importance to the OSHA 3030 community, stating that this idea that they could have stopped the work would have prevented the incident but he didn't, the operator did not stop the work, and that was unpreventable employee misconduct, would presume that the incident itself was a violative event and that the cause of the violative event is something that that operator could have prevented. However, the review commission reminded the parties that OSHA had alleged not that the incident was a violation of the general duty clause, but that the prior many years, apparently, failure to inspect and torque tighten those bolts was the alleged violation. And stopping the work would have only arguably interceded to prevent the incident. It would not have interceded to prevent the violation, which was already in occurrence over the past several years, the Review Commission argued. And I think that that is a really important point that extends well beyond the General Duty Clause or Cranes and Derricks generally, but to the question of when to use and when not to use the unpreventable employee misconduct defense, particularly, for example, with respect to cases where there is a serious injury, hospitalization, or uh, fatality. 
and to look at the underlying alleged violative conditions, which I think is much more germane to a citation defense. All right, Taylor. Well, that's that's the Huckles McCoy case. In light of it, what uh, what should employers do? Sure. Um, so one that jumps out immediately is that a recall, the existence of a recall does not eliminate employer responsibility for reasonable diligence. Obviously, there's a recall in this case with, with the bolts, but it did not protect Hankles and McCoy from the responsibility to, to check the bolts and to perform the, the torque testing, the lack of which was defined as the, as the hazard in this case. Right. Quite the opposite. Wouldn't you say, Taylor, that the recall actually uh, triggers a duty for employers to decide hey, we've got to recall what programmatic or regular ongoing additional steps should we be taking? In this case, it was somewhat spelled out. You should be doing regular inspections, torque, tightening it to torque specs, and keeping those bolts under tension. Exactly. And that that's the kind of evaluation or you know hazard assessment or the sort of brainstorming that should take place when a recall like this is brought to an operator. I think the second thing that we can think of as flowing from this case as a lessons learned, Taylor, is the idea that we just discussed, which is to create routine inspection and preventative maintenance programs. And for all equipment, in particular heavy equipment such as this, and to create a checklist that the inspector employee is supposed to check off on all of the different elements that were inspected. And if any tasks, maintenance tasks were performed to make a record of that, that way, for any given vehicle, I can find out that five months ago, this was torque tightened and doesn't need to be torque tightened again, but could be inspected for tightness, something like that. So that, that routine inspection and preventative maintenance program, along with documentation of every inspection and every maintenance task is, is probably a good practice for employers to take away from this Henkels and McCoy case. Absolutely. A third takeaway is if contracting with a third party to create safety testing reports, an employer must be aware of what's in the report. You saw in this case, the review commission uh, repeatedly mentioned that Henkels and McCoy failed to read the testing reports that Diversified was providing for them. And if they would have, they could have seen that Diversified was not in fact doing the torque testing. That's um, right. So, yeah. I mean, in every inspection report from third party vendor, there's going to be a, a punch list or a list of action items or corrective measures. And it, that, that list will serve to hang an employer, uh, proverbially speaking, if they don't punch out the punch list and knock it down all the action items. So they're hanging out there. And this is now evidence that you've been told what to do and just, just didn't do it. So the action items coming out of any inspection, internal or from a third party, it's really vital for employers to at now act on it and, and close the, those action items out and create a documented record that they were closed out. I agree. Finally, you know, the we're seeing more evidence, Taylor, you and I, that operators' manuals and other kinds of warnings from manufacturers like decals are being used as evidence against employers in these occupational safety and health site alleged uh, violations. And I and I don't know that I can speak to every single one of them, but I think as a general rule, it's it's not appropriate to for for OSHA to go through a sort of surrogate rulemaking by incorporating owners' manuals. But nevertheless, since we are seeing evidence that OSHA is pointing to it as evidence of knowledge, it does make sense for employers to, to thoroughly familiarize themselves with owner's manuals, get the training from the manufacturer or an authorized trainer of the manufacturer, disseminate that training to employees, make sure that the owner's manuals are being read with a certain degree of frequency and consulted or converted into uh, operating procedures 
safety operating procedures that are internalized and regularly consulted so that 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 manufacturer information is transmitted and and preserved and becomes a, a sort of living part of the safety and health program. Well, Taylor, that's the last uh, point I think that we are going to make on the Henkels McCoy case. An important case, I think a lot to be learned from. That's today's OSHA 3030. As I said, we just finished nine years. We're just beginning our 10th year of uh, the OSHA 3030, and we've never missed a, a single episode. So that means that all of our prior episodes are, are preserved on our library at khlaw.com and can be, can be accessed by you, the OSHA 3030 community, some of it which is still very relevant to this day, not much of it. And, uh, and I encourage you to go back, go through a few episodes if, if you've missed one. The other thing I'd say is don't forget when you get an invitation to the OSHA 3030, please forward it on to three others at least in, within your company and at other organizations, and particularly the in-house counsel who are responsible for occupational safety and health law compliance and the safety and health professionals that you know. Because that that new additional entrance into our community is the is the future of the program, and we we need to continue to spread the good word in exchange for all the hard work work we do in curating and selecting great topics for you on a monthly basis. With that said, in the meantime, between now and our next episode, please stay in touch with us through LinkedIn. Both Taylor Johnson and I have LinkedIn accounts, and if you haven't linked in with us, please do so. Uh, send us an invite to, to link up. This program will be posted as a podcast to your favorite podcast app, probably within the next day or so. So check it out and subscribe, please, so that uh, if you ever miss an episode, it will automatically feed for your commute to or from work. The only other thing I'd say is our date for September is already scheduled. It is September 21, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at that program and uh, hopefully spreading the good word about that program between now and then. Uh, we have sister programs for those organizations who are responsible for complying with, with TOSCA or FIFRA or REACH. We have sister programs. The TOSCA and REACH programs will be held on September 14th and October 12th, respectively. Our link to those programs is posted here on the slides, khlaw.com slash either TOSCA-3030 or REACH-3030. So please look up those uh, on our website, sign up for them if they apply to you. Well, that's it for this month's OSHA 3030. Taylor, I'd like to thank you for joining me on this program. And I'd like to thank all of the staff at Keller and Heckman here in Washington, D.C., who, whose great work has made this program possible for the last nine years. Uh, so thank you. And thank you all in the OSHA 3030 community for also helping to make it a success. We look forward to seeing you again next month. And until then, stay safe. Stay safe.